when we were talking this morning, kind of like in our huddle, we uh, had a little time of prayer. Oh, you guys didn't sit down. You guys sit down. Sorry. Um, we had a little time of prayer, and Emma was with us, and she prayed for us. And it really struck me at one point, she asked that we would have joy, like that we would experience joy. And it, in light of this last week, it's kind of like the last thing that was on my mind, joy. Uh, we've had a rough week. Like this is... Um, been far from our best moment as a country. And uh, it's actually, uh, like what we're going to talk about today is actually fitting in light of that, of what happened. Um, there was a lot of risk. There was a lot of threat. There was a lot of danger. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. But I just want to pray for us again. And I want to pray Emma's prayer. So Jesus, we know you're here, and we love you, and we're eager to uh, receive your care and your direction and your power. We need all those things. Um, we ask for your joy as well, uh, and especially in light of what happened in our, our capital building, Jesus. We ask that uh, we could step back from kind of the details of our own lives and just the things that are going on in our world uh, and see you and cling to you and depend upon you. We ask for your joy. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, we are in a series um, that is called We Grow Together. And if I were to zoom all the way out and describe this series, um, you know, like what is it about? I would say that it's about God's aspirations for every single human, like literally every single human who has ever lived and whoever will live. This series is about God's aspirations for all of us. So what does God want? I would say God wants two things, and um, plain and simple, uh, what God wants, first thing, is that he wants every person to be in his family, every single person. I mean, and, and the way I want to describe this, I'll, I'll wait for this here in a second, but the way I want to describe this is imagine um, everyone who has ever lived is in one of two lines, okay? So line number one is the line going to eternal life without Jesus. And line number two is the line going to eternal life with Jesus. What God wants is to help people move from one line to another. Uh, God wants to move people, like I said, from one line to another. The heart of the Father is to have us. It's for us to come alive spiritually and to be in his family. So that's the first thing, okay? And, and if you're asking me, I think that's the most important thing. That's what God wants. He wants us in his family. And then the second thing, you guys, is for those of us who are in his family, he wants us to grow up. Just like every parent, like every father, every mother, 
um, parents want their kids to grow up and become the very best version of themselves. God wants you to grow, and he wants everyone that you know to grow. And what God knows is there is a gap between who we are and who we can be. Like you could think of it like this. There is like the current version of you and the Jesus version of you. And the Holy Spirit knows what that gap is. And the Holy Spirit is always doing it a work in our lives, helping us move from one version and getting closer to that other version. So my question is, how do you think that happens? How do you think change happens? How do you think growth happens? How about maturity? And more than that, like this, this series isn't just about how do you change, but how do we help each other change? Because there are a million books out there that talk about uh, self-help and self-growth and self-change, but there aren't a bunch out there asking, how do you help people grow? And that's the kind of the big idea uh, with this series. Um, so here's the scenario I see. Just about 100% of the time, um, I'm with a group of people, and someone shares uh, frustration um, or a problem or you know, something that they want to, to change about their lives. And in almost in every one of those scenarios, someone has a solution to offer, right? I mean, it'd be really weird if you know, somebody you know, talked about something that they need some help with and nobody said anything. Um, almost always there's a solution that's offered, but here's the punchline. That solution is almost always content or information. And here's what I mean. By content, I'm talking about, um, you know, something comes up, somebody wants to change or grow, and so we recommend, oh, a book, a blog, a, a piece of advice, a podcast, YouTube video, conference, even a Bible passage. And you guys hear me loud and clear. I am not anti-content. I'm a massive consumer of content. I listen to podcasts every day. I, I read every day. I study my Bible every day. But content isn't enough if we're missing something. What is that thing that we could be missing? That's what I want to ask you to think about. And that's the big idea of this series. And Andy kind of talked about that last week. The greatest contributor to change and growth in people is environment. It is literally environment. Human change and growth, more than anything else, is about the right conditions. Now think of it like this. I'm going to give you like a quick little hypothetical. Um, none of you can force me to grow. Hold on to that idea for a second. So think of it like this. None of you can force me to grow, and I can't force you to grow. Uh, even if you guys like all you know, got up against me and dogpiled me on the grass and like held a gun to my head, you can't force me to grow. But what you can do is you can force me to obey. Like you can, you can modify my behavior uh, if you force me, but that's not growth. You can change my behavior 
That's called compliance. There's a massive difference between growth and compliance, and, and it's the thing that we often depend upon and rely on. So all of you, um, what could you do then if, if you couldn't force me to grow? You could create conditions that compel my heart to change and grow. So all of you have people that you love deeply. And who they, be, who they become, it, it matters to you greatly. Uh, they may be your children. It could be your collection of friends. It, it could be the family that you grew up with, brothers and sisters, your parents even. Uh, it could be extended family. It could be your friends here in Uptown people that you've gotten really close with, maybe people in your DNA group, your GC. And again, how life goes for them and who they become, it matters to you. And if I asked you the question, who do you love? They would be the ones that you think of. So if you feel anything like this, if you feel love for those people, if you feel holy aspirations for them, then this series is for you because it puts actual life-changing tools in your, in your toolbox. So we're starting today, and, and for the next five weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about these conditions that create and, and yield change and growth. Um, we're going to start out talking about safety today. We're going to talk about self-awareness or truth, like our what do we do with the truth, uh, we're talking about vulnerability, gospel encouragement, about the messages that we receive in life. Um, and then we're going to talk about the effect of our serving each other. What does that do for us? Um, so let me, I'm just going to open in prayer for our message time, and then we're going to jump in, okay? Jesus, we're still grateful that you're here. And we're still grateful that you are doing your work in us. We ask for that now. I pray for clarity. Uh, I pray for a clear mind. I pray for clear words. And I pray for hearts here who are hungry for your work. In your name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so now that was uh, kind of like the series recap. So we basically backed way up and we got a running start uh, into, into the message. Uh, so I have to admit, I have to confess, this morning I have to start out telling you the bad news. Uh, but the good news is coming, so hold out for the good news. The bad news that I have to tell you is very big picture bad news, but the good news that's coming is as focused as your heart. And so that means that it, it touches the core of your life. The bad news is about everything that exists in our, I'm trying to make a W right here, okay? But it's like um, the, the, bad, the bad news is like the big W world that makes up life as we know it. We felt that acutely this last week. But the good news is about your life and the small W world that you get to live in. So let me start with the hard part. And this is, uh, well, let me just start with the hard part. The bad news is that you were designed and created to live in a world that is not available to you. Not right now, it's not. And here's what I mean. Every single one of us 
is born into a dangerous world. And for some of you, when I say that, uh, me saying that, it's just like stating the obvious because life in some way has always felt like risky to you. Like being you has, has felt um, dangerous. And there's always been some feeling of social threat as a part of your life. But others of you, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> What's this born into a dangerous world thing? What is he talking about? Well, let me explain it like this. I think that there is something actually post-apocalyptic about the world that we were born into. And just kind of think about that genre. I, I actually love that genre. I love those movies. I love the shows. I read the books. It's very interesting to me because I think it uh, describes the world that we live in. I'm going to read this to you. This, this describes post-apocalyptic. In this genre, something terrible has happened and everything has changed. Something has broken the world, leaving survivors to fight and struggle to recreate a tiny patch of safety in a fallen and dangerous world. That's post-apocalyptic. And friends, that describes the history of us. In the Bible, this is the story of humankind after the fall. Genesis 3, it describes it like this. You're going to Recognize it immediately. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. That is not the world you were intended to live in. That's not what God was going for. God is not okay with that world. He created a completely different world. The bad news is we broke that world. It was us. We're the ones who started the apocalypse, and our world is dangerous because of us. So you were created to live in a safe world because that was your original design. And so when you feel relational risks and threat, when it's not okay to be you, the reason you feel that is because it doesn't line up with who you were made to be. So let me... Um, The Bible um, actually gives us uh, kind of like an unexpected picture of that. Uh, the very first picture we get of, of the safe world is in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. In fact, I, I read this to you a couple weeks ago. It goes like this. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, we have a TV show on Discovery. You guys know where I'm going with this? There's a TV show on Discovery. It's called Naked and Afraid. What a nightmare. My gosh, what a horror show. It's like two strangers, a man and a woman. Uh, they have to survive in the wild for 21 days completely naked. That is like the anti-Garden of Eden scenario. That's not what we read here. What we read here is that Adam and Eve were naked and unafraid. Another way to say naked and no shame is fully known and fully loved. That is your original design. That's what you were made to experience. You're made to live in a world where people know everything about you. Imagine that. Can you even fathom that? People know everything about me, and then they love me completely. In that world, there is no risk 
no threat of being you. And this is the world that we opted out of. We had that, we saw that, we experienced it, and we said, we'll take something else. We opted out of that. We were duped into picking something else. This is Genesis 3. You all know this passage. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman said. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat of it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Friends, that's what we fell for. We heard that, and that's when we broke the world. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some, of the, some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. Imagine what they saw. Imagine what they experienced. The thing that they had, the thing that they lived, the thing that they enjoyed, the thing that uh, fulfilled them completely, they lost it immediately. And then suddenly, uh, and then they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And hold on to that fig leaf idea. We're coming back to that. But we accommodated mistrust and selfish ambition and, and pride. We questioned God's goodness. We mistrusted his motives. And then get this, you guys. We actually turned and we walked away from perfect love and the safest relationship in ever. And then danger floods into creation and humanity is washed out of paradise in a torrent of shame and sinfulness. We walked away from the deepest longing of the human heart. So you guys, let me just say it again. Safety is what you were made for, but danger is what you got. So that's the big W part. Let me talk about the small W part now, the, the part the, of life that, that you live in. In fact, I have a question for you. We talk about relational threat and risk when we feel condemned or judged, or it's not okay for us to bring our, our true self out. Can you remember the first time that life felt threatening or dangerous to you? Do you remember that, or, or do you have early memories of that? Can you remember the first time you felt like it wasn't okay to be you, and so you had to try and be someone else? And just for clarity, again, I'm, I'm talking about relational risks. That's the context of this whole series. Can you remember when that started? Well, this series that we're in, it's, um, it, it's based on a couple of books that I've been writing the last couple of years. And from time to time, I, I just like to read to you from some of what I've written. This is what I wrote about when threat first became real to me. This is how I answer that question. Years ago, 
I wrote in my journal, fear and danger were my natural habitat growing up. As I came into thoughtful consciousness as a young boy, I realized my little world was unpredictable, precarious, angry, hostile, and painful in many ways because that's what it was like to grow up as the only son in my alcoholic father's house. At some point early on, my father realized I wasn't going to be the son he longed for. And that's when the relational danger spiked for me. I'm sure we had pleasant times in our family, but I can't conjure a single memory related to my dad that isn't connected to some form of ridicule, disappointment, or physical pain. Those are simply my dominant emotional memories of him. In fact, most of my childhood memories are connected to a deep fear that something would happen that would cause him to pay attention to me. With my dad, I learned it was safest to be invisible and forgotten. I drew conclusions about myself because of my father. It was always risky to be me around him, so I decided to become someone else, at least on the outside. With his message of disappointment playing on loop in my mind, I buried my real self and became aggressive, mean, and violent. I also became a black belt at observation, constantly cycling through the same set of questions. What's the emotional temperature here? How do people view me? What gets celebrated and condemned in this place? What gets rewarded and what gets punished? Guided by my answers, I hid my true self away and mastered the fine arts of self-protection and performance. I learned to become whoever I needed to be wherever I was. It just felt too risky not to put on some made-up version of myself. Sadly, I carried all that pathology with me into adulthood. Even today, I push back against what feels like an emotional allergy stemming from a soul conflict between who I should be and who I really am. It's exhausting to compete against the anxiety of a fake life. That's how danger flooded into my small world. Life in the apocalypse had begun for me. So relational danger is the human experience. It's the default mode of the world that we were born into, regardless of the parents you had. I don't care if you had the best parents ever or the worst parents ever, at some point, it becomes dangerous to be you. In Romans 3, um, Paul, uh, he answers a hypothetical question. Uh, he's speaking to um, his Jewish audience, and the question that is asked is, um, are we Jews the exception to all the evil in the world? So if the world is dangerous, if the world is risky, if the world is evil, if the world is all those things, because we're God's people, are we the exception to all that? And, and here's his answer. He splices together a bunch of uh, verses from the Old Testament, and then he reports what the factory settings of the human heart are. This is Romans 3. He says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. 
Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Feeling good yet? We good? (laughs) Okay, so this is still the bad news portion of the show. But the good news is coming, okay? Hold out for the good news. But the Paul, the, my point is, Paul says the bad news is real. And you guys, I'm spending extra time on this. I'm, I'm banging on this drum because if we never get safety right, we can't get any of the other life-changing conditions right. This is the thing we have to figure out. Safety is the doorway to everything else. I can't grow on my own. That's, that's unavailable to me. I can't know the truth about my own life. I have something like a, a, a naturally occurring self-blindness to myself. The bottom line is I need you to help me change and grow. And here's the hard truth. I'm not letting any one of you near my heart near my life, unless I know that I matter to you and that I'm accepted by you. That's safety. And this is how it works with the people that you love. Without safety and acceptance, you'll never be welcomed deeply into their lives. And safety enough on its own, it's not enough. But it's the essential first ingredient for actual change and growth. And guess what? We only get safety in relationships. So you have to be in relationship. You have to be in community for, in order to get it. So in the, in the very short amount of time that I have left, I just want to answer two questions, okay? Question number one is, what does relational danger do to us? And then what does safety do for us? So question one, what does it do to us? Uh, the thing that we see immediately Um, all the way back in Genesis 3, is that it puts us on this endless search for the perfect fig leaf. That's what Adam and Eve used to cover themselves, to put on your fig leaf, to cover the parts of you that feel imperfect or flawed or shameful. It's to put on a fake life. Fig leaves lead to fake lives. And you will never grow a fake life. You can't grow a fake life. A fake life isn't real. All that you can do with a fake life is spend massive amounts of energy to keep it propped up between you and everybody else. So a fig leaf is not just a fake life. It's also this barrier between you and the people that you actually need for life change and growth. You guys, here's... Let, let me just give you an example. This is hard truth for me. Sometimes all of you are my fig leaf. You are. You're my fig leaf. Sometimes I cover my imperfections and my flaws and my sins with people. I love people. I love you guys. I, I wake up in the morning thinking about us. But when life feels risky and I feel like hiding, I've discovered that I can prop up my care and concern for you. And then when I do that, we don't have to look at me. If I'm always talking about you, we don't have to talk about me. If I'm looking at you, we don't have to look at me. That's one of my fig leaves. What's yours? What are the fig leaves that you put on as a, 
as a way to cover the parts of you that feel uh, unacceptable. I've seen people hide behind busyness, humor, competence, their own children, that's a huge one, low availability. Fig leaves are as unique as we are, so that means there are billions of fig leaves in the world. Here's another thing, though. Relational threats, they also uh, make us feel as though we're not enough. There's an author, Brene Brown. Probably many of you have heard of Brene Brown. I find her to be wildly helpful. Uh, she's a shame researcher, uh, and, her, and her, um, like her sample size is massive. And so she writes about the effect of shame on the human heart and its remedy. So Brene Brown, she says that we have a never enough problem. And, and they're like, there's something missing about me and that always makes me feel incomplete and unacceptable. So you're not good enough, thin enough, smart enough, articulate enough, successful enough, tall enough, witty enough, bold enough, strong enough, sexy enough, clever enough, unique enough, young enough, old enough, fun enough, perfect. You guys, I, I could go on and on. We could, st we could spend the rest of the day out here talking about all the ways that we're not enough. And it's not just that we feel like we're not enough, because we're not enough. It's true. We're not enough. The deeper lie in all of this is the idea that feeling, that, that finally being enough will fix you. That you can be the solution to your not enough problem. So literally, how would you fill in that sentence? I am not what enough? How does that work for you? In low safety environments, shame wants you to think that your insufficiency is the most important thing about you. And if we accept that lie, that being enough is possible, then it puts us on this horrible, awful hamster wheel of performance. And that wheel just spins and we run, and we run, and we run, and we get nowhere. And by the way, performance is all about earning. It's about earning your value and acceptance and love. It's this idea that I can become good enough because of what I do. Theologians, they, they call that fallacy earn righteousness. We talk about that here from time to time. And it is false. It, it is not true. It is a lie from hell that we... And we can't ever earn our own righteousness because by default, we're not good to go. Remember, that's what Paul said back in Romans 3. So let's flip the coin, okay? What does safety do for us? When our world becomes safe, then and only then our authentic selves come out of hiding. We actually become free to take off our fig leaves in safe conditions, we're free to come out and, and just be ourselves. And then the most amazing things happens. Then our authentic selves begin to change and grow. You know, the path to competence runs through incompetence. Do you guys get that? Let me say that again. The path to competence runs through incompetence. In order to get good at something, you have to start out doing that thing badly. The path to holiness, to becoming like Jesus, 
It runs through wickedness, living only for ourselves. Sorry, that's the way it works. And he said, in fact, he said last week that sanctification is slow. I couldn't agree more. None of our change happens overnight. And it's beyond helpful to be able to work on our lives with other people in an environment that allows imperfection and also celebrates genuine growth. It's so helpful if we can work on ourselves out in the open and we didn't have to do it and we didn't have to try and do it on our own. That is the gift that every person enjoys when they get to live out in the open in a safe world. It's the gift we give to each other. So ultimately, safety is about anticipation. Please, you guys, just just give that thought just a second in your head. I'll say it again. Ultimately, safety is about anticipation. Safety happens when someone reveals a weakness or a flaw or a sin or a broken part or a hurt, and they anticipate receiving love and acceptance in return. It doesn't mean we're going to let those things stay, uh, but they won't be met with condemnation and rejection. My whole life, every time my dad uh, walked past me, I flinched. Every single time. Even when I was an adult, I'm a grown man, and my dad would walk by and I would flinch because it was always dangerous to be me around him. My whole life, I anticipated my dad was going to hurt me. And because of that, I never brought my real self out when I was around him. We grow safety in our community when people come real with their flaws and their weakness and sin and all the good stuff too. It's not just the the hard parts, the good stuff too. And then we love, accept, and care for them in response. Eventually, that anticipation turns into a belief. It becomes a core belief of our community. And people come to believe that safety is normal in Uptown. We all contribute to our collective supply of relational safety. I'm going to ask the, I'm going to ask Ruth to come back, the worship team to come back. Um, and let me just finish now. Okay, so I started out with the hard news. We, we spent a ton of time on the bad news. We spent a little time on the good news. Um, I, I just want to finish up with the best news. The best news in, in all of this is that Jesus is literally fixing all the stuff we've broken, including our broken lives, if we'll let him. So the most important thing is, is not what you do. The most important thing is what Jesus has done for you. You know, after this series, we're going to, you may remember if you were here last week, Andy announced that we're going to do a series in Romans after this series. And that's great news for me because it's like my favorite book in the Bible uh, because of what we find out that Jesus has done for us. So get this, in chapters one through four, much of what we read about is the damage that we've done 
Um, it's not all about that, but it's about our own depravity and how through our sin we've corrupted not just creation, but our, our own hearts. And then in chapter 5, Jesus shows up. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace. We have peace with God. No more danger, no more risk. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We find out that through Jesus' vulnerability, we receive our ultimate safety. But the best picture comes just like a couple verses later. In verse 6, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, powerless is a really important word in that verse. Um, it's, the, it's the Greek word, asthenes. And powerless, yeah, maybe, but it's actually more like hopeless or helpless. And I guess hopeless and helpless make you powerless. But we can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We can't repair the damage because when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In English, what you lose is the timing of the events in that verse, and it's stunning. There are two active events happening in real time. I, I would put it like this. While you are in the act of sinning, God is in the act of displaying. At just the right time, while we're right in the middle of our sinfulness, like we're in the act, in the very moment, God puts his love on display. In the second that it's most dangerous to be us, when safety is utterly lost, God displays the solution that we cannot live without. And God says, I see you. He says, I know you. I know all about you. I know the details. And watch what I do next. It's like he says, you think you're flawed and wicked and bad and depraved. That is nothing compared to my love for you. And then finally, once again, we're fully known and fully loved. Ultimately, safety is all about anticipation. And this is what you can expect from Jesus. You can bring him all the imperfect parts of who you are and then expect him to say, I've never loved you more. And I will take care of this if you let me. And I will help you become who you long to be if you'll follow me. We either enrich or undermine this economy of safety in our community. We do one or the other. We either hold the door of safety open for change and growth, or we hold it shut. The truth is there's no jeopardy. Uh, in Jesus, there's no jeopardy being you. And that's how it can be with all of us too. So Jesus, that's what I ask for. I ask that we would feel free from risk in your presence. And then I pray that we extend that to each other. We love you, Jesus. Amen.